0: If you're looking for proven tools for your workplace toolbox, you're in the right place. Now, let's get after it. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Working Conversations podcast, where we talk all things leadership, business communication, and trends in organizational life. I'm your host, Dr. Janelle Anderson. The other day, I was working with a group of mid-level managers, and the topic I was helping them with was managing more effectively in the hybrid work environment. One of the things that I do in a session like that is to set the stage with Everett Rogers' theory on the diffusion of innovation. It was developed in the 1960s and has really held the test of time in terms of its explanatory power in helping us understand why some people more readily adopt new ideas, processes, and technology. The categories in brief are innovators, the 2.5% who are the very, very first to adopt something, early adopters, that second group to use the new thing, the early majority, which accounts for about a third of the population, and then the late majority, which accounts for another third of the population, and finally the laggards, approximately 16% of the population who are the last to get on board with something new. When working with managers, I find this to be a helpful framework for understanding why their staff get on board with new ideas and technologies at different rates. Later on in the course, when we were discussing entirely different topics, someone asked me if I had an opinion on why their senior leaders were slow to embrace a long-term hybrid work arrangement and were instead working on a return to office program. As they explained, And as I knew from working with their organization, their senior leaders were working diligently to try to get staff to come back into the office on a full-time or mostly full-time schedule. Senior leaders were frustrated with the resistance they were being met with. The mid-level managers felt like their senior leaders were out of touch with the times. Could I explain this, they asked, because they were at their wit's end. So I flipped back to slide number three, which displayed Everett Rogers' diffusion of innovation bell curve, clearly labeled with the innovators, the early adopters, the early majority, the late majority, and the laggards. And then I asked the group, if you were to plot your organization, not just your senior leaders, but the whole company on this bell curve, where would you be? There were several audible gasps as the group identified their organization in the late majority We're doomed, several of them said. To say the least, it was a very eye-opening moment for them to think about not only their direct reports and themselves and where they fall on the diffusion of innovation curve, but also where their entire organization lands on that same curve. So today I want to share the diffusion of innovation with you. We'll start with the five specific adopter categories. These are the parts that people who've heard this model before are most familiar with. So we'll start with those categories from the innovators all the way to the laggards. And then I'm going to go in depth a bit more on the background and share the five stages of adoption, as well as the factors that influence whether or not people or organizations try or adopt something new. And along the way, I will encourage you to think about where you fall on the curve and where your direct reports, colleagues, or managers fall along the curve (laughs) and also where your organization falls. So let's start with the categories. That's the part that most people who are familiar with this model think of. So imagine a bell curve, or if you are watching on YouTube, you will see me here with a bell curve. On the far left of the curve, we have the first two and a half percent. These are the innovators. Everyone likes to think of themselves as an innovator. At least many of us do, but it's just simply not the case. Just two and a half percent of the population are going to be the innovators, statistically speaking. Now, I will be quick to point out that this may vary across different parts of your life. You may be quick to try or adopt the latest gadget. In fact, I often put myself in this category as it relates to trying new gadgets. I had a rocket book in the late 1990s, which was one of the very first e-readers or e-books in the marketplace way before Amazon launched the Kindle. And then I had one of the first generation of Kindles, eventually. And before that, I had a PDA or Professional Digital Assistant, which was pretty much like a smartphone without the phone. (laughs) One of the top brands at the time was Palm Pilot. I had an early edition, and then eventually I had the Palm 7, which had a wireless antenna so that I could get signal and content from the internet, but only when the antenna was up. So in that space, I would consider myself an innovator. There are many other places in my life where I am just simply not an innovator. Case in point, I've been driving my current SUV for nearly two years. And just a couple of weeks ago, did I actually figure out how the remote start works? (laughs) This is where you can start your car with your key fob from a distance. And people, I live in Minnesota where a remote start is a brilliant feature on particularly cold days. I just figured it out two weeks ago not an innovator there all right the next category on the bell curve are the early adopters these are immediately to the right of the innovators but still very much on the left side of the curve early adopters tend to be opinion leaders in their organization they may be in formal leadership positions or they may be influencers within their organization without holding a formal management role other people tend to respect them and seek out their advice early adopters turn out to represent about 13.5% of the population. When a new technology or process is being rolled out, this group has already seen and felt the problem that the new technology or process addresses, and they are excited to embrace it. They don't need any training or convincing, typically. You can count on them to spread the word and try to influence others to use the technology or try the process themselves. Now, the third group on the bell curve is the early majority. This group accounts for about 34% of the population, just over a third, and they will only adopt a new technology after they've seen evidence of the innovation's effectiveness. While they don't need a lot of convincing, they do need some evidence and a bit of training. This group works well from a quick reference guide, if it's a piece of software or a gadget, or an instructional video on the manufacturer's website, or some brief step-by-step instructions. They don't want to be left behind, so they do tend to get on board fairly quickly and without too much of a fuss. But they're not first, or second. The fourth group on the bell curve, and here you'll notice we have certainly hit the apex of the curve and we're starting to go down the backside of the curve. This group is known as the late majority, and they also account for about 34% of the population. In general, these people tend to be skeptical of change, and they will only adopt a new technology or process or innovation after they've seen a large number of people try it and have success. Strategies to appeal to this group and to help them get on board include sharing data on how many other people are already using it. Success stories are also extremely helpful with this group. The final group on the far slope of the right-hand side of the curve are the laggards, They account for about 16% of the population, and they are the hardest to convince to try to get them to use the new technology, idea, process, or innovation. They are bound by tradition, and they do not tend to like change. When appealing to this group to get on board with something new, it can be helpful to share statistics about how many other people are already using this new thing, success stories about how it helps do business better or otherwise improves workflow or people's lives, and sometimes even fear appeals. And what I mean by fear appeals is something like, the old system is going away, so you have to learn the new system. Pressure from those in other groups, especially the late majority, will help the laggards get on board also. Overall, as we move toward the right side of the bell curve, and it's harder to persuade people to get them to try or adopt something new, I regularly recommend pairing a person who is a late majority adopter with an early majority adopter and having them use the new thing in a non-threatening situation. Likewise, I recommend having a laggard paired with somebody who is in the late majority, who has already adopted the new technology or the idea, and have them work together again in a non-threatening situation. A good example of this would be if I'm trying to get my team to use the whiteboard tool on Zoom or Microsoft Teams or whatever platform I'm using, and I have some late majority or laggards in the group, I would pair them with a partner who is in the group immediately to the left of them, so a laggard with the late majority or a late majority with someone in the early majority, and then have them do something fun like play tic-tac-toe or some other lighthearted use of the technology prior to assigning a business task on the whiteboard, like diagramming a process flow in boxes and arrows fashion. So that's the part of the diffusion of innovation theory that is the most widely used and remembered. This episode is made possible by Instacart. If you haven't already started using Instacart, now is the time, my friend. Now, I'm the first one to say that I actually enjoy a trip to the grocery store. I really do. But you know what I like doing even better? Making this podcast. When I was deep in the development of this podcast, outlining and recording the first few episodes, my kids reminded me that they needed to eat. Instacart to the rescue. In absolutely record time, Magnolia, my Instacart shopper that day, delivered chicken nuggets, milk, avocados, fresh berries, and a host of other groceries we needed. When life gets busy, or when you just want to feel like royalty and have someone do it for you, there's Instacart. Get $10 off your first order when you sign up at workingconversations.com forward slash Instacart. Now, back to the show. Now, there are a few more components that I'd like to share with you as well. So in addition to those five categories of adopters, the Diffusion of Innovation also proposes that adopting new ideas occurs in stages. These stages are useful for thinking about a variety of contexts, certainly in terms of adopting new technologies and tools at work, but also more broadly speaking about getting yourself on board with anything new in your life whether that be starting a new habit like drinking more water or making a decision to get a pet or move to a new house. Let's look at the stages and then you can best decide how they apply to your work and life. Stage one, knowledge. This is the stage when you first learn that an innovation or a need to change exists. This could be that you first learned about a new gadget, maybe something that was just launched at the Consumer Electronics Show or CES. You heard about it in a media report and you're curious to learn more, but for now, you know that it exists. Then you're going to go online and research it to find all about all of its features and benefits and how much it costs and so forth. Stage two, persuasion. In this stage, people become even more interested in the innovation and they seek out even more information about it. This is again, where you go online and research all of its features and benefits, how much it costs and so forth. If it was a device or a gadget that was launched at the Consumer Electronics Show or CES, you might also seek out news stories about the device. You might be asking around to see if any of your friends or associates have ever heard of it or started using it, and you're essentially convincing yourself to try it or not based on your additional research. Stage three, decision. In this stage, you're making a decision to either try the new thing out or not. You're thinking about the various benefits that you've learned in your research, and you're weighing that against the costs. Sometimes these costs are financial, as in how much does the gadget cost, and other times the costs are time or other resources needed to optimize the use of the gadget. Stage four, implementation. In the previous stage, if you decided to try the new device or gadget and you purchased it or downloaded it or whatever you needed to do to acquire it, It is in this stage that the innovation is actually being used. You can think of this as a trial period. The manufacturer might have a 30-day window in which you can get a no-questions-asked return, or maybe you're in a free seven-day trial period with some new software. During this implementation phase, you are experimenting with the new innovation to ensure that it is useful and worth the cost, whether that cost is financial, time, or some other resource. And stage five, confirmation. After implementation, when you've been using the new innovation for a period of time, you then either commit to adopting the innovation or commit to discontinuing its use. So that's the final stage confirmation. Now, in addition to the bell curve and these five stages of adoption, which again are knowledge, persuasion, decision, implementation, and confirmation, in addition to those stages, Diffusion of innovation also identifies a number of factors that influence whether a person will, in fact, adopt an innovation. Let's go through these factors, and there are five of them. Number one, relative advantage. How much better is this than the alternatives that are available, including doing nothing? Because that is also an alternative. Factor number two, compatibility. How well does this innovation with my existing needs values and beliefs does it work with other systems that I already use and believe in if it fits relatively well I'm much more inclined to try it at first and then adopt the new innovation factor number three complexity how difficult or easy is it to use this innovation if there's a steep learning curve or a lot of steps for a person to learn it may dissuade some people from trying it or from adopting it factor number four Trial ability. How easy is it for me to try this out before I make a decision about whether to implement it or purchase it? Am I able to use it on a limited basis before making a commitment? If so, then I can test the results from my trial to inform whether or not I do want to adopt this new innovation or product. You can think of this as a grocery store sample. Can I try it before I buy it? The greater the trial ability the more likely a person is to actually try it and then adopt it. And factor number five, observability. This is the extent to which someone who's considering adopting this new technology can observe others having success with it. This can be through real life observation or it can be through testimonials on a website, for example. So these five factors, again, number one, relative advantage, number two, compatibility, number three, complexity, number four, trial ability, And number five, observability. The more of these factors a person is able to work through, the greater the chance that they will first try and then in fact adopt the new innovation. So in a nutshell, that is Everett Rogers' diffusion of innovation, again, first introduced in 1962. It has really held the test of time in terms of its its explanatory power on how and at what rate innovations and technology spread. It's worth noting that although Rogers, a sociology and communication professor, popularized this theory, he wasn't the first academic to explore the idea of how new ideas spread. Other sociologists, anthropologists, and geographers had been studying the general concept since the late 19th century. Now, before we wrap up this discussion of the diffusion of innovation, let's go back to the question that was posed to me by this group of mid-level managers. How do we get our senior leaders on board with more innovative ways of organizing work at our company, like hybrid work arrangements, flexible work arrangements, and so on? They were then able to plot their company on the diffusion of innovation curve, and again, not nearly as far to the left as they would have liked. Remember, they were late adopters. They then asked me for examples of organizations that fell into the various categories on the diffusion of innovation bell curve. So let me share those with you as we close. Innovator. Let me share two examples of companies that I think are in the innovator category. First, Tesla. Now, all of your opinions about Elon Musk aside, good, bad, or otherwise, Tesla is certainly a company that has been at the forefront of innovation with electric vehicles and self-driving vehicles. They may not have been the absolute first to develop this technology. In fact, they weren't but they certainly have a solid track record of delivering such vehicles to a very dedicated following and getting out a lot of those vehicles into the marketplace rather quickly. Another company that I categorize as an innovator is Amazon. Again, love them or hate them. They were the first to have a viable, scalable online retail company that actually made it and didn't fold. Starting with books only and then eventually adding additional product lines, they are now very much the, quote, everything store that Jeff Bezos had initially imagined. An example of an early adopter company would be Apple. Now, I know some of you may want to argue with me and say Apple is an innovator. But when you look at most of the product lines, their great innovation is in fact in design the iPod was certainly not the first MP3 player, nor was it the first portable music player by far. If you're my age, you'll certainly remember the Sony Discman and the Sony Walkman playing discs and cassette tapes through headphones connected via cable. Likewise, the iPhone was nowhere near the first smartphone to be introduced to the market. What Apple does so brilliantly is to drastically enhance the design of products that have already been proven to be viable in the marketplace. Because of that, Apple has a reputation as being on the cutting edge. But when you look under the hood, you see that they have built a loyal following of early adopters who are eager to try out their latest products and appreciate the design elements that Apple brings to their products. Now, that's why I'm calling Apple an early adopter. A good example of an early majority company would be Nordstrom. Nordstrom offers excellent customer service and was one of the early adopters of online retail sales, launching its first retail website in 1998. But when it comes right down to it, Nordstrom is a high-end retailer that provides a certain level of excellence in what they do and has a reputation for delivering on-brand with a great deal of consistency. Now, when we look for examples of late majority and laggards, it's hard to find companies that are still in business. Companies like Blockbusters, Sears, and Kodak are examples of companies who were late to the game in adapting to changes in the marketplace and quite simply didn't make it. There are also many other organizations who may be thought of as late majority and laggards who are still in business, but tend to be dead last when it comes to changing with the times. These organizations may be publicly funded and are concerned about being good stewards of public dollars and don't want to change too quickly, and they don't want to do something based on a fad. They could also be organizations who are run by people who are conservative in their thinking, and I don't mean that in a political sense. I mean that in more of averse to risk-taking. With good business sense, even an organization that is highly averse to risk and very slow to change is not necessarily doomed to fail. However, such organizations do need to have incredibly talented leadership in order to profitably run a risk-averse business in turbulent times. So how about you? Where do you fall on the diffusion of innovation curve? Hit me up on social media and let me know. Are you an innovator in the top 2.5% of people who are not only ready to try, but also adapt and adopt something new? Are you an early adopter? That next 13.5% of people who are quick to try something new, but not quite first. Are you in the early majority, looking for evidence from those who have already tried the new innovation? Or are you in the late majority, looking for lots and lots of evidence and needing some encouragement before trying that new innovation? Or are you a holdout, a laggard, begrudgingly using the new innovation only when you absolutely have to? (laughs) Again, drop me a line on social media. Instagram's a great place to find me or here in the comments on YouTube if that's where you're watching. All right, if you enjoy this content and you're watching on YouTube, make sure you hit the subscribe button and knock that little bell so that you get notified every time there's a new episode out. I'm also starting to make some other videos on YouTube as well. So even if you're listening on a podcast player, you'll want to head over to YouTube and subscribe so that you don't miss a thing. Wherever you're listening or watching, please leave me a review. It helps other listeners find me and it just plain old makes me feel good. Until next time, my friends, be well. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you're hearing on the podcast, head on over to Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts and give us five stars and a quick review. It really makes a difference and it keeps us bringing you valuable content that you can put into play in your life. I'm Dr. Janelle Anderson and this is Working Conversations.